It's your radio, the future of radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Serious Business and Not So Serious. Tonight we have our two authors. They work together and they wrote a book about John Holmes. And for those of you who don't know who John Holmes is, at this very moment you will know by the end of this hour. A Life Measured in Inches was written by Jill Nelson and Jennifer Sugar. These two ladies got together and they have created a very intriguing and interesting book which will take you into a world where you may have never been. Welcome, Jill and Jennifer. Hi. Or hello. <laughs> Hi. This is Loie and my co-host, Corey. Hello, everyone. I'm going to be here and keeping you updated in the chat room tonight and if it doesn't fail on me and I have to play dumb. Well, you won't have to play too hard, right? So, oh, that's because I love you, Corey. So, tonight we have Joel and Jennifer. Welcome to our guests in our chat room. Um, if you would like to call in, our call-in number is area code 646-716-9034. You can talk with our guests, Joel and Jennifer. If you have any questions and you're in the chat room only, please type them out, and we will make sure that Joel and Jennifer have your question. So, Jill and Jennifer, I've been reading about John Holmes and his life, and what I've read, it seems to me that he was just a simple country boy from Ohio, and um, it piqued my curiosity, how did John end up in Hollywood, number one? what I mean, you know, did he just go to Hollywood because he wanted to be a porn star, what was uh, what was his goal to go to Hollywood? Either one of you ladies, feel free to jump right in. Jennifer? Um, well, I'm not sure that anyone knows the answer to that. Um, the only quote we found regarding that was from John himself, and he was a storyteller. He liked to tell stories sometimes to hide the truth, but often there were always nuggets of truth in the stories. So... What John said is after he got out of the Army, he went to New York where he learned how to be a gigolo. And then he went home and he visited his mom and hitchhiked out to California. Wow. So when when he arrived in, in California, I you know, I didn't realize that he was in the service. Um, when he arrived in California, does anyone really know what, you know, took place uh, the first few weeks or months that he was there or how long it was before he became involved or discovered um, for his uh, career? Do you want me um, to answer, Jennifer? Or yeah, you sure. Go? go ahead. Um, he, he actually worked at various jobs for a while when he, when he first arrived in California. He, he was an ambulance driver. He sold shoes. Um, he worked at a candy factory for a couple of years, and he also met uh, his first wife shortly after he arrived in California. I, I would say maybe one or two years, Jennifer. He, they got married in, in August, uh, I was going to say 2005, 1965, which was probably a year or so after he arrived there. And then he actually, we found out through our research um, I think a lot of people sort of assume that he didn't really start into the adult entertainment industry until the late 60s, but we we found out from talking to people, a, a woman and her husband who directed him, that he actually had started in, appearing in nudist films and things like that in the mid-60s. So his career sort of coincided with his first marriage, but a lot mm-hmm. of people didn't really know that, I don't think. Do um, uh, does anyone or has did his relative, you know, his parents or sisters, siblings or anything, has anyone talked to them or were they are they still alive or were they still alive at the time you started this book? Yes, his family is really guarded. They're not interested in talking about John. Um, okay, I, uh, the reason um, I was curious is because I was wondering what kind of childhood that John had. Um, I guess from the things that I've read, because I do try uh, and know a little bit about the subject that I'm going to be chatting with you about, um, mm-hmm. 
what I've come across mostly is that he was really what you would call a country boy, uh, that he had a relatively normal childhood, and that's, you know, they didn't say if he's a farmer or anything like that, but that just that it's a relatively normal childhood and that he was just a country boy. Does that pretty much fall in with what you know? Uh, no, not really, because John um, actually had a really rough childhood. He had <clears throat> it's four siblings, Joe, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Older. Four siblings, and his mom um, was a single parent for a long time, and then she remarried, and the new husband um, was manic-depressive and could be abusive. So John John had a really rough experience, and that was why he dropped out of high school and joined the Army at 16. Ah, okay. That's because I read several different little things that, that I had found online. And uh, so I was kind of interested in that because I tend to believe, just as many people do, that, you know, how you grow up colors a lot of who you become when you do grow up. Yeah, definitely. And so, and some of us never grow up. I'm still working on it myself. <laughs> right. Yeah, me too. Well, yeah. he, did, he did enjoy um, living in the country, though, and he, he really liked fishing and climbing yeah. trees and all of those things that, that kids like to do. It's just that he was dealing with this other stuff at home with his stepfather, and that was hard for him. I would think so. He uh, he he's, was really quite a, a good-looking man. Um, I can just imagine that, you know, uh, I don't know how Tom Selleck will feel about this, but, you know, he could have been another Tom Selleck. Really? He, he was funny. I'm, I'm sure Tom Selleck is probably uh, giggling. Not that Tom. I love Tom Selleck. I'm a fan, so it's okay. But I just, you know, I just think about, uh, I look at him, and when I do, although the cover of your book is really quite interesting. I I have that on the, my front page of, uh, of the show, and I just, you know, when you look at his eyes and his face, and which is what you have made your focal point. Mm-hmm. He just he looks so nice, and I'm sure he was a nice man. Yeah, but I he think looks yeah, nice. He definitely does. The cover um, is from Phantasm Comes Again, and actually, yeah, we did, that's how he decided on this style of the cover, and it was designed by Kenji, who took the really famous photo of John with the hands covering the length of his penis. you got to say that one more time, because I had a call coming in interrupted you. Could oh, you re- okay. Could you repeat that, please? Yeah, um, that's actually how we ended up deciding on this cover. Um, it's from the movie Phantasm Comes Again, right, Jill? Yeah, Phantasm. Yeah, I think Phantasm. it's the first one. I think it might be the first one. It could be the second one. There were two. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and the cover was designed by Kenji, who took one of the most famous photos of John. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, it's a, it's a very eye-catching cover that you have here. And um, I, I, I have to tell you a funny story. I didn't know who John Holmes was when Denise, uh, and I were corresponding via email. I didn't know that name. <laughs> I, I, I uh, said, oh, I wonder who John Holmes is. And then I read, and I said, oh, that's who John Holmes is. So I was across, I live in a small village, 3,200 people, and I always get my gas at the same place for the last 30 years and watch their children grow up. And one of the girls um, who works there, her dad owns it, and uh I said, oh, uh, you need to listen to my show. And I was telling her about all the different authors this month because I'm really excited about all of you. And um, I was telling her what the different shows were. And then I said, and then my last one is is going to be really interesting. It's about a guy named John Holmes. Well, here's this little girl. She's not a little girl anymore. She's a mommy. She's got kids. Here's this little girl that used to be my assistant when I volunteered at the school library years and years and years ago, she said, really? Oh, wow. And then she said this name, Johnny something or other, and I'm like, how do you know that? It was really, we had such a wonderful laugh. It was funny because, you know, there's this young girl who's probably 30 years younger than I am, 
And she knew who this was, and here I am, this old lady. I didn't have a clue, and I've been around the block a time or two. It was really quite comical, and so I'm hoping that uh, she's out there listening because she was really hoping to tune in, and and uh, so it's it's it was just kind of comical, Corey. Of course, I knew the name before you mentioned it, which is kind of scary. But I knew the name because on they did a, a whole thing on the entertainment TV. ETV about him, and they made jokes about it on the show right after, which was kind of interesting. So I knew the name when you mentioned it. <laughs> ladies. It's interesting because um, actually a lot of, I think, I would say younger people would know who John is today because Hollywood has, has made two feature films, uh, one mm-hmm. of them involving, um, well, called Wonderland, which Jennifer and I had both seen before we knew one another, which had actually was was the springboard into us doing this book. But the other one was called Boogie Nights, and it was inspired by The Life of John Holmes, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. And it it was an award-winning film. Burt Reynolds was in it, and Mark Wahlberg starred as the lead character that was based upon The Life of John Holmes. So I think a lot of young people who have seen those movies um, would know who John is today because he he is legendary. I was going to say, you know, that that makes him like a legend, really, because, uh, and and seriously, I believe you're 100% right, because I had no clue who this was, and young people, if I'm talking about my show and the shows that are coming up, the young people know who I'm talking about. I just say John Holmes, and they know, (laughs) and I'm like, my mouth drops open because I'm surprised. Well, it's like Jennifer and I. Jennifer's 26, I'm 51, and we both know who he is. <laughs> That's right. you know, sort of a good, uh, sort of a good representation of that is that we. I knew who he was, um, but I didn't. I'd never seen any of his films or anything. It was really um, seeing the film Wonderland that brought him back into my memory, and and then of course I wanted to learn more about him, and you know, it's like Jennifer has a story that she shares. You should maybe tell that story, Jennifer, of how you um, came to... Jennifer is the originator of this book, and I became her collaborator a couple of years into it. So maybe, Jennifer, I'm just thinking it might be good to tell that story if sure. you want to. Yeah, yeah, we'd love to hear that. Yeah, well, I was um, 21, and... I had kept hearing on the radio, our sets are longer than John Holmes, and I hadn't seen any of his movies, but I understood what it meant, so I was really curious about him. And uh, I went to the movie theater, and it just happened to be that Wonderland was the next thing playing, and so I asked, what's it about? And when they said John Holmes, I was instantly interested. And I walked out of the theater, and I said, I'll never see a John Holmes movie. Um, that was the impression it left on me really because quick. it. What's that? I would say you said that changed really quick. Sorry, Jennifer. Yeah, it did. Um, like within a week, I rented a couple of his movies and I started reading whatever I could online to learn more about him. And I read his autobiography and just <laughs> I realized there was not a in-depth biography about him, and I thought he's a important part of. American pop culture. So how could there not be a book? So I just thought I could write one. So that's how I started. That's a good way to start to find someone who's interesting, and then it goes from there. I was right before you said you'd rented his films. I was just about to say because you mentioned earlier, um, one of you mentioned earlier. I don't know which one. The voices are talking to twenty-one-year-old now. The voices are. Can you speak up? Can you speak up just a little bit? Oh, sorry. All right. Okay, thanks. <laughs> That's okay. A little bit close to, I guess, or else I'm just spaced. But I was just about to say when you guys had said that, well, I would hope you didn't spend your time watching his films. <laughs> we watched 200 of his films. <laughs> right, yeah. Because we reviewed, we reviewed um, 114 feature films of John's and 86 of his loops for the book, all watched and reviewed by us for the book. Um, so we watched a lot of John Holmes. <laughs> Your head has been spinning by the time you've done all of that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I just, I'm almost like in shock. How did uh, I've never seen any of John's movies, and to be really honest with you, I've probably never seen what's considered porn. Um, 
So I, you know, I have this picture in my head of what porn is, but, but uh, my question is, how did how did you uh, how did you feel about the movies themselves? Uh, that kind of uh, display of sexuality uh, did did you find it? Um, how did you find it, Jennifer? Yeah, uh, Jennifer, we'll let the young lady speak first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, when I first started watching John Holmes movies, I had only seen a few pornos, and um, I didn't really enjoy them, but I didn't hate them either. And uh, John Holmes movies are usually pretty interesting to watch because there's a plot, and I really enjoyed the comedies the most. And as far as, like... Uh, I think that the more I watched them, the more I grew to appreciate them up to a certain point. And then it just became repetitive where uh, I was watching them to get the work done. But I haven't watched any porn since I finished the book. so <laughs> That's a good thing. I, I well, that's- either way, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just um, and we're not putting we're not putting you or the the uh, subject matter down at all. Believe me, I yeah. you know uh, my thoughts are that uh, yes, it, to you I'm sure it was a job uh, to both of you. Right. You know, still, it it was a job, and and we all have parts of our job that are um, either difficult or funny or strange or weird, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. we just we have to plod through and do what we do to accomplish what we choose to accomplish. But I can just, uh, I guess I could just picture you two girls or ladies sitting there, and um, I'm glad to hear there was a plot because that's what I would be afraid would, like, just totally turn me off is no no plot. Mm -hmm. I think. um, Oh, go ahead. If you just sit there and you watch blatant sex, I just think, you know, after a while, you just sort of, like, probably doze off. And uh, so that's really great. Uh, that you know that you were able to do that. And it says in um, some of the uh, paperwork that I have here that you were able to interview approximately 35 or thereabouts uh, friends mm-hmm. and um, wives and so on of, of John. Um, I'm assuming that some of these people were in the industry. Some were just uh, your everyday friends. Um, and when I read this, the one thing I'd like to stress to all of our listeners and to our guests and so on is that, you know what? John Holmes was a human being. He had feelings. He loved and he didn't love. And no matter what his business was, and, and obviously the movies were a business to him, um, he was a human being who had the same thing you and I have, friends and, and family and so on. And uh, they, it says here that many of these friends are are still loyal loyal to his memory, that uh, how you got into this was uh, a celebration of um, his life. Mm -hmm. And so um, having these friends and so on that you were able to talk to, uh, was that something that was very helpful for you to flesh John out in the book so that he would be more of a human being to those of us in your readers um, who are reading your book? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that was really our goal in writing this book was to keep it as unbiased as you could about a person that a lot of people um, would feel comfortable placing a judgment on without having known him. And we did find through interviewing everybody that a lot of people were positively touched by John and that underneath it all he was a really good person and, as you put it, yeah, a human being. So, yeah, you really hit on the overall goal of the book right there. The other thing that was interesting is, and I remember Jennifer and I talked about this once, is, you know, the old adage, you can tell a lot about a person by the company you keep. Uh A lot of the people that, when we launched our book in Los Angeles last summer on John's 64th birthday, and many of the people that we interviewed showed up and supported us in the book, and I can say that these people are, are really wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, right down from, I mean, Bob Chin, who, who was the Johnny Wad creator in the series that John starred for a period of about eight years as the 
lusty private detective Johnny Wad, um, to John's widow Lori, um, his friend Joel Sussman, uh, many of the people that had known him and cared about him, they came. And John's being dead now for almost 21 years. That meant a lot, and it also, I think, tells a lot about John. You know, most, that most definitely, I would say that it does. I, I can't imagine anyone uh, walking through this life without touching others' lives in many ways, positive and, and otherwise, and uh, that's just uh, human nature, I guess. And it sounds as if John Holmes had a lifestyle that was totally different than than the largest larger percentage of people, and. The lifestyle that he lived uh, led him into drugs, I believe. Mm-hmm. And was that, you know, was he, I, I'm assuming from what I've read that, that he was addicted to heroin, crack, that kind of thing? Um, John, nobody who really has any reliability thinks that John did any needle drugs. Even his wife, who was a, his first wife, who was a nurse, Sharon, said that, she thinks that John was afraid of needles and would never have used them. But he did smoke a lot of freebase crack, yeah. And drugs really changed John. When he was using drugs, he was a different person, and that's when the negative side of his personality would appear. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't know if that was because of... I can't remember exactly how you put the question, but... He um, he he became involved in drugs just like a lot of people become involved in drugs, and I wouldn't necessarily um, say that it was because of his work. Right. Uh, I think one of the reasons is because cocaine was very um, prevalent and available in special. Well, it, I would say in major cities like Los Angeles, late 70s, early 80s, and John just fell into that. He one of the reasons I think this is true, Jennifer, and correct me if I'm wrong. One of the reasons that he wanted, I think that he found cocaine was, um, he thought in the beginning was, was sort of like finding um, nirvana was because at the point, at the time that he started using it, it gave him sort of a, he needed an infusion of mm-hmm. of sort of, I guess, energy stimulation as a sex performer. Um, he he, he need, They didn't have Viagra back then. He needed, I'm not saying that he couldn't perform, but he needed something different he'd been working for 10 years by that period probably not maybe as as long but he he was just looking for something to give him an extra boost and that's one of the reasons that he started using coke but of course being a very addictive personality that he was he he wasn't the type of person to just you know be able to just do it a few times he went full tilt with everything that he 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 did did. cigarettes uh coffee alcohol (laughs) Drugs, sex, <laughs> everything that he did in excess. Right. Okay. <clears throat> I'm having uh, Corey put your website in the chat room so that uh, people can see that and visit your website. I just wanted to mention that uh, this book is uh, the publicist is Denise Casino at Denise at Din Casino at gmail.com, uh, www.wizardlywebdesigns.com. That's Denise. And your paperback, this is quite a large book you ladies have written. It's 584 pages. Uh, publisher is Bear Manor Media, and it came out on August 8, 2008. And uh, it can be picked up. Is it on your website for sale? Yeah, johnholmesinches.com. Okay. Um it can be picked up on the website, and that is www.johnholmes.com. Is that correct? No, johnholmesinches.com. Inches. I forgot that. Yeah. The most important. Never forget part. the inches. Yeah, mm-hmm. the most important part. And um, it can also be purchased on my front page. I have um, a uh, link there to Amazon.com, and I understand that it is in Barnes and Noble and all the other uh, bookstores. So the availability to purchase this book, read and find out about somebody who lived a different lifestyle from what I guess we would call the norm. 
Um, I think it's going to be fascinating reading. I just, um, as you say, he had an addictive personality. I think that, I think that's interesting because you know what? I can relate to that coffee part. I nobody would even know would recognize me if I didn't have a coffee cup in my hand, as I do at this very moment. And uh, so I, I just think it's interesting to see how other people grow up and who they are. And I'm I'm looking forward to reading this book. Um, I think it's going to be interesting. And I think just talking to the the clarity that you two ladies have, are providing on. You know, you've really, you've done your background. You've done your work. You girls, I hate to call people girls. I hate it when they call me that. And it just keeps rolling out. You ladies have just really, um, I'm impressed. Uh, I see that uh, the book includes rare photos. Mm -hmm. um, That makes me want to giggle, so I'm not going to. I'm just seeing myself looking at photos. And I just, I'm 60 years old. I'm going to be 61 next month. That just makes me giggle thinking about nice, Dawn. It, it's sort of nice because um, I think that for people who might not want to wa- or might not choose to watch a porn film, but they're interested in reading the book, and maybe because John was, um, he was very well endowed, I think if people are interested or curious about what, his endowment looked like we we thought to you know to keep within the consistency of the subject and and again the integrity of the book we we chose to put a few photos of of John's yeah. physical um, how would you call it his endowment um, just so that people maybe get an idea as to to what is referred to in the in the book when people do talk of having worked with him and, and things like that it's sort of important. Well, you know what? It's it's part of who he is. It's it's part of who made him the person that is remembered. I mean, if he had not been a porn star, if he had not been well endowed, he probably would not have been the John Holmes that we are speaking of today. So naturally, uh, people are going to be curious. God, I'm going to tell you, I'm curious. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> and and so. And here sits my 16-year-old son going, oh, Mom, <laughs> Mom. But, That's okay. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm sure everybody is curious um, because I can't even, oh, we're not going to go there. It's probably best we didn't, Mom. Yeah, you're right. It's best if we don't say, I just can't imagine. So I'm going to have to buy the book and look. Made a rhyme. Um, and it's a very good book. On t- you know, In addition to the pictures, it's a very good book. <laughs> Yeah, I probably should have said that, but I was sitting here imagining, so I shouldn't probably do that. Um, anything that uh, you guys want to pop in here with while I get myself back together? <laughs> what are you thinking there, Jennifer? I don't know. Sorry. Well, um, uh, one of my thoughts is, is uh, I know that, that uh, John Holmes died from AIDS. Yeah. And um, you don't have to live the lifestyle to to acquire AIDS. And um, I'm assuming that, okay, bear with me here because I'm just making an assumption here that when you are a porn star and you're doing this particular type of movie that you are faking it, like, you know, if we're watching a Nora Roberts movie, they're faking it. Mm-hmm. What we see is they're not really doing what they're doing. So my assumption is that in a, in these particular movies that we're speaking of, that they actually did have intercourse. And right. so um, John had many uh, partners, sexual partners, so that is how he got AIDS, but do they... Was it all heterosexual, or was there homosexuality? I, I guess that's what I'm asking. Um, John made a handful of early loops, or loops early in his career that were gay. Some of them um, were just softcore, though, where it would be simulated, like what you were talking about. And um, then later on, 
1983, um, he made only one throughout his whole career. He only made one um, feature film that was gay. And an actor in that movie that John performed with did die of AIDS. Um, and no one will ever know for sure if that's how John got AIDS or not. Um, but it seems like it might be the most likely explanation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, it says in, in um, some of the notes that I have here that that John was married uh, multiple times. And, uh, yeah, twice. 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 My husband's got him beat. I'm the fifth wife, so. <laughs> so there, John. And, uh, but I've been around for 43 years. I've been married to the same man for 43 years. Although I, I congratulations. Would, thank you. Mm-hmm. But I really am his fifth wife. So <laughs> when you're right, you're right. And, yeah. And I'm the right one. So um, John had two wives. One he was married to when he passed away, and uh, it says that he had many mistresses. Mm-hmm. So uh, he he was not. Um, was faithfulness a, a part of his lives with either of his wives? Was that something that was important to him and his wife, or, or was their lifestyle free enough to allow the mistresses without causing problems in his married life? Do you uh, Were you able mm-hmm. to tell on that when you were talking about John? John Go ahead, Bill. Okay. He was, and, and Jennifer, jump in if I forget or... John was never monogamous, and in one of his um, documentaries, a documentary made about him in 1981 by one of his girlfriends, I think he sums it up best when he says he believed in freelance sexuality. That's what he practiced, um, He not only on screen, of course, but in his private life. He usually had, well, what, from what we can ascertain, he, had, he would have a wife, he'd have a girlfriend, and then he'd usually have a couple of other relationships going on the side in addition to his work in adult films. He liked women. And um, he just, you know, I I think for his first wife it was hard because I don't know if she knew about all of his liaisons with other women off screen, but she certainly knew what he was doing for his profession and she wasn't happy about it. Um, She did know later on, actually, that's he did. He did become involved with one girl for a num for what five years, mm-hmm. and uh, his wife did know about her. But I think by that point, she and John had sort of parted ways sexually. So, um, but they were still married. They were still living together. Uh, so she kind of took this girl under her wing, in a sense. And uh, when it was very unusual, unorthodox sort of thing, but but that's what happened. And. Uh, but you know he he liked he had a lot of girlfriends at the same time as they say and his second wife Lori he met her she was a performer when they met um, she wasn't wild about him having mistresses and, and affairs but she knew that if she wanted to be with him that's the way that it had to be so I guess she accepted it to a degree and, uh, mm-hmm. and if she'd complained to him it would have fallen on deaf ears I'm sure yeah probably so do um did did John have groupies I mean you know we have rock stars and and movie stars, and there's groupies. Uh, did, did John have groupies? Was uh, that something that happened in um, the the uh, type of movies that he made? Definitely. Bob Chen told us a funny story about one time this girl had come all the way, I think it was from Minnesota, mm-hmm. out to uh, Los Angeles mm-hmm. and tracked down where, they, where Freeway Films' office was and asked Bob Chen is John here, and um, Bob went to get John, and John said, well, is she good looking? And Bob said, yeah. <laughs> and so then they, uh, Bob let them use his office for... Uh, How nice of Bob. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. Did, um, <clears throat> did John Holmes have children? No, John Holmes was uh, sterile. Was wow! What a what a shame. Um, question he on had, he he did have godchildren though, and he had a and uh, yeah, he he was a stepfather to his second wife Lori's child, so he did have he had um, good relationships with those children. 
Oh, I'm sure John would have loved to have kids too. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. he would have. He would have been a fun dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he would have certainly been unconventional, and I have no doubt that you know, uh, what's that Kiss guy that that has a TV show, Corey? Oh. Yeah, Gene Simmons. I mean, you want to talk unconventional? Yeah. He's definitely unconventional, but you know what? His show is so funny to watch. You just love that family. Yeah, I've only seen it one time. I haven't watched it uh, more than then, but yeah, it's interesting. I don't watch it on a I don't watch it on a regular basis, but when it happens to be on and I catch it, I usually end up sitting there watching it because they make me laugh. And he's the guy that got around a lot before he got had this family too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the wife he has now would probably cut his hair or something like that, like Hercules, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I have a feeling that, that John would have been, you know, what would be considered a good father and a caring father just from what you have relayed here this evening and what I've read previously. And I just can't imagine uh, life with him being boring. <laughs> no. At he all. Was a big kid, though. He was a big kid. He loved, one of his favorite things to do was going to amusement parks. And, hey, Jennifer, he loved, didn't he visit, uh, was it Knott's Berry Farm that he went to yeah. quite a bit? Mm-hmm. And Yeah, he just loved going on rides. And he was a big kid in a lot of ways. Somehow, somehow that doesn't surprise me. Does it surprise you? No. Um, no. 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 I mean, just... Uh, he comes across as um, a very free spirit. I have uh, a guest in our chat room, and she's asking, are there or were there any wannabe Johns that you know of? Uh, is there? Did you run across anyone that wanted to be the next John Holmes? Hmm. Um, I don't. I don't think so because nobody could ever be the next John Holmes, really. Um, I'm sure there's people that admire him and maybe some men who wish they had his endowment. But I bet that would be 99.99% of the men on the face of this earth, Jennifer. Which yeah. one? <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about, about uh, you, uh, Jennifer, that uh, you are, uh, or you were, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were a Michigan University student. Right. And um, this is your, is this your first book? Yeah, it's, um, for Jill and I both, it's our first book. So it was really quite an undertaking. I didn't realize when I started how much work it would be. Um, John Holmes just has, there was so much research to be done. And uh, it really required two people and over four years of work total. And and how did you um, happen to hook up with um, with Jill? Um, Jill and I actually we met on an online message board um, that was related to John Holmes and um, I at first I didn't tell her I was working on the book I just shared with her some transcripts that I had of certain things and eventually um, I told her and. I got to know her really well, and I realized that we both had really similar interests uh, in John Holmes for the same reasons, and uh, I knew that I would need help with the book, so I invited Jill to um, be a co-author. And and Jill, uh, it says that um, we know that you're in in, uh, Canada, that you're a Canadian hearing instrument specialist. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is that? It's just a glorified way of saying that I, I no, I'm kidding. I've, I've actually, I, I assess hearing and I dispense hearing aids, and I had my own business in for 22 years and sold it last year, and I'm now working for the people that I sold it to. But it is, it's just about dispensing hearing aids and programming them and counseling and service and all of that. Oh well, that's quite, that's quite a, an accomplishment, really. My husband. Um, went for hearing aid tests year before last and I was just totally impressed with all that that uh, that pe- you know the people in this, this industry do and then and then the uh, hearing aid was really 
was really nice, except that then he could really hear what I said under my breath sometimes. Right. I wasn't He's too thrilled careful. about that. Very, Probably very he wasn't either. <laughs> you have uh, your mother, too. Yes. Mm -hmm. And how did you work together? Did you work online, or, or did you, uh, Jill, write a chapter, Jennifer, write a chapter? How did you work together to do this? To, to write this book so that it's cohesive and it flows. Do you so want nice. to Jennifer, or do you want me to? Or go ahead. Either one of you, jump right we in. Worked, we both. Well, Jennifer had already written some chapters before I. She invited me to help her, and she'd already done several interviews because she had been working on the book for a couple of years before I came on board. But then when we hooked up, when we sort of um, Jennifer was in school still. But we kind of devised a way that um, to put it together, and uh, we were still experimenting a little bit. But we became kind of clearer in our in our plan, and we both started. I started working on some chapters, and um, I did some interviews too. We both continued doing interviews. We did a series of interviews together in Los Angeles. Um, and that was the, the first summer. time that we met in person, actually. Right. And how long had you been working together at that point? Um, about six months or yeah, six or seven months probably. Mm -hmm. We met in the summer of 2007 in Los Angeles for the first time six months after we'd started the book together, or started being working on the book together, uh -huh. and uh, and that was fun. But we had we, I think we overbooked our interviews. We had so many <laughs> interviews to do <laughs> that we didn't have a lot of downtime. But it it worked really well, and yeah, uh, we we found that we got along well and. I've said this, I don't embarrass Jennifer anymore, but I just have immense respect for her for what she decided to do because, it, like she said, it is it was a major undertaking. And when I got involved and saw sort of two firsthand just how much work there was, I thought, wow. But but we did it, and we did, I mean, we, we reviewed films, and we would write our reviews. We'd send those back and forth. We sent our chapters back and forth, our interview transcript, transcriptions back and forth through email, and that's kind of what we did. For the most part, oh, and Jennifer came to my house. Yeah, I was just going to say she came here when we were kind of putting the final touches on the photos, and we had to um, narrow it. We'd narrowed our photos down, I guess, eh, Jennifer, but we had to write captions. Yeah. So we did that at my house. Nice. Um, the Wonderland Murders, which uh, took place in 1981, could you talk about them a little bit? How those affected? Uh, how you see that era and how you see uh, John Holmes in, in connection with uh, this era? Sure. Well, um, John Holmes was still making movies throughout that time, and this was when he was with his first wife, Sharon. And um, he had several girlfriends always, but the um, young girl, Dawn. And at this time, John was addicted to drugs, and he was... Um, kind of a go-between between this nightclub owner named Ed Nash and this group of people that lived on Wonderland Avenue in the Hollywood Hills. And he um, had set up a robbery where the Wonderland people went and robbed Ed Nash. And then Ed found out that John set it up. And this is where um, things aren't really for sure. I mean, it's likely that John admits that he opened the door to let Ed's people into the house, but um, four, four people were um, murdered, and one person was seriously injured. Um, they were bludgeoned to death, so it's a pretty gruesome thing, but uh, John Holmes, like, the thing about the Wonderland movie is it takes the liberty in showing John swinging a pipe, and there's no... Nobody knows that he did that. Okay. There's no evidence to support it either. I right. mean, he he was charged, and uh, you know he was he he was uh, put on trial and charged, but the evidence to support that was very weak. Yeah, and Jill so. and I interviewed um, Frank Tomlinson, who talked about how John um, was willing to ad to tell the court that Ed Nash did it and talk about who the murderers were because he knew. Um, but in, I'm trying to think of the word for it. 
he wanted um, protection from Ed Nash then. And um, at that time, Frank Tomlinson was ordered by his superior that he couldn't go and arrest Ed Nash, even though there was enough um, enough reason to arrest Ed Nash for the crimes at that time. Mm-hmm. That was sort of pivotal in John's case. Um because Ed Nash had a reputation, the, the Los Angeles Police Department, they knew that he was sort of a, um, oh, that he he was just, he kind of owned the, the, um, the police force at that time because he was a very influential um, nightclub owner. And so he was, he was the Teflon Don, they called him. He was untouchable. So even though it was believed at that time that he had masterminded the retaliation for the robbery, um, there was no way that they were going to let the officers arrest him. So John kind of was a fall guy in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, he uh, he didn't spend any uh, time in prison or anything for this, did well, he? Well, he, he was acquitted. Um, and after he was acquitted, then he did spend some time in prison for contempt of court um, because he wouldn't say who the murderers were because he felt you know, for whatever reason, there was risk in him doing that mm-hmm. without them being willing to protect him. Yes. So, but he was acquitted, and then he went on and had a successful career afterward, and he really cleaned up his life after that. Mm-hmm. And he met, he met his second wife, and he really enjoyed his return to adult films at that time. He was kind of back on top, pardon the pun, but he was. <laughs> See, I, I should have just jumped right in there and said that because it popped into my head. Um, but he, he really, you know, he had sort of gotten, I think, discouraged with things and prior to, you know, the robbery and all of that. And plus he had become so deep in his addiction that it did affect his, his rationale and, and his personality, as Jennifer mentioned earlier. But then when he, he cleaned himself up and, and he... Um, he started, he and Lori lived together, and, and her son was there, and he helped her raise her child, and that kind of gave him a new lease on life for a while. He just lived a life that was just, uh, from one moment to the next, it was just filled with all the things he probably didn't have growing up, although I'm sure there was a lot of drama from what you've said in, in his home life. Uh, it just seems like the, the drama just goes from day to day and hour to hour for him. And mm-hmm. I almost wonder if that wasn't a drug in itself. Hmm. And yeah, just... also, that was a change. Once he got out of um, prison for the contempt of court and he began kind of a new family life and he was more settled down. And, I mean, he still was a porn star and he was still enjoying parties in Las Vegas, but he really also was quite a family man there, and mm-hmm. Lori describes that they're, um, you know, they, they spent a lot of fun times together. They, they I, w- I would think they uh, probably did, just, just considering his personality. Um, mm-hmm. He, the I you know, the more I look here and listen to, to you, I'm just <clears> seeing this, this great big over overgrown child yeah he was yeah one thing that's um he really liked (laughs) it's fun because when we did the book we got to really like as jennifer said our objective was to sort of look behind the porn star and find the person there too Mm -hmm. um but he liked he was artistic i mean i don't know to what extent but he certainly enjoyed woodworking and building and he loved to refinish um old furniture um, he wrote poetry, he he did some sketching, he did some sculpting, uh, and he liked, you know, he, Laurie said that he really loved to rent films, he loved, um, because that was the video age after they got together in the early 80s, and he would, she would say he'd rent like five films a night and, you know, sit and watch, you know, five films, uh-huh. and he loved classic films, like he loved the old classic film stars like Bogey and, and all those people, so it's kind of like sort of a, not what you or what people might think that a porn star <laughs> would do, but I mean, like you say, they're just people and just like everybody else. And I think that, that the one thing that we'll all garner from this book that you ladies have written is that John Holmes was a person. 
and regardless of what his career was, he was a person, and I'm picking up uh, that he was a true artist, um, the woodworking, and the films themselves are, are probably, uh, at this point in time, maybe not when, he, when they were being made, but at this point in time, they're probably works of art in their selves, um, but I'm not going to sit through 200 of them, okay? And uh, but he watch one, <laughs> just one, huh? He strikes. Well, they're not a person who, although he was um, famous for what he did, when he was at home, he was somebody you wanted to be with. He was somebody who went out in the garage and did this, that, and the other. I mean, he sounds like he had the heart of an artist. Yeah, yeah I think that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would Go ahead, Jennifer. That What's that? Uh, Jennifer was going to say something. Oh, I thought no, that... her voice. Or that, maybe I heard like Jill's that. voice. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do, do does he strike you that you know uh, that he was just a well-rounded person? Um, he definitely had the addictive personality that Jill talked about, but. Um, I think he was pretty well-rounded. He, um, you know, he he did what he could. Um, perhaps his first wife, Sharon, had mentioned that maybe he felt like he should have had more education. Um, but I think he had a lot of life experiences, and he really, you know, was smart from having traveled the world and, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, he knew how to promote himself, and he knew um, he knew how to schmooze people. So, I mean, really, I think he was intelligent in his own way and um, very creative, for sure. Financially speaking, uh, how, how well paid was he? Was, I mean, you know, movie stars of today, a million dollars is a drop in a bucket. But in, in 81, 82, 83, and in, in those years when he was... Uh, Perhaps at the top of his field, was he a well? Was was the money good? And financially, did he live uh, well? And his family live well? Well, he. There's a lot of controversy about the amount of money he actually made. He. I mean, adult film stars are not paid what Hollywood um, mainstream Hollywood film stars are paid. But there's. I guess that the. You know, you've got to kind of appreciate the way they put these films together. There's sort of a series of scenes and. Um, John did something a lot of in the 70s, apart from feature films, he made something called Swedish Erotica, and there's a series of loops, like we had reviewed loops for the book. They're like 10 to 15 minute sex scenes, uh, usually one sex scene. I guess at the height of John's career, he was making uh, $3,000 for one of these scenes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a lot of money. This is We're talking the mid-70s, mid to late 70s. Yeah, that, that is a lot, a lot for of them. money back then. Yeah. Um, so he was paid well. He was probably the top, I would say he was probably the, the, the highest paid porn star at, in the era during, or the era that he worked, which was a period called the Golden Age from, say, the late 60s to 1986. He was probably the top paid porn star. And and the reason why was because during that time, John Holmes's name would sell more movies than anyone else's name. That's any girls and at that time it was unheard of for a guy to be the attraction in a sex film i mean it was mostly at the beginning men going to see them yeah eventually the image you get in your head of all these guys theater Mm -hmm. yeah later um because the culture had changed in the big cities where the porn films were being shown in theaters it wasn't uncommon for couples to go together or groups to go and um, my aunt told us a funny story about a time she went to a theater and she asked, what time does the movie start? And they looked at her funny and said, who who cares? Like, who goes in to see, to watch the plot of the movie? <laughs> oh, wow. You know, the, the, the thing, too, I think, that why I'm saying you should at least see one of John's films is this. I had only seen a couple porn films, you know, before I I became interested in John and I rented a couple of his films. I've been married for 30 years to the same man. Congrats. Um, 
so we no no i mean he's very open-minded and uh he was thrilled that i was going to rent some porn <laughs> but you know watching john's i i love this story because the very first scene that i saw it's from a film called prisoner of paradise or one of the first fil- scenes and john's playing this um world war Two soldier and he is with his um um Chinese wife is that who or fiance mm-hmm. and he is he's sitting and they're kissing and it's very romantic and he carries her over very gently to this beautiful canopied bed and he makes love to her and it is a beautiful scene it's an absolutely beautiful it's real sex you see everything but it's a beautifully orchestrated scene and I think a lot of that John gets uh, credit for that but so does the director Bob Chin who who assembled that scene and directed it and and put it together and I was really surprised that's not what I expected in a porn film and so that era of porn is I think very different from today I'm not saying all the scenes were that were that beautiful to watch a lot of them were fun like Jennifer said a lot of them were really um, light and and funny but that was I think and it, I found out later that that was John's favorite scene of his uh, the the only I when I was younger, my husband and I, we we went with a couple to the first what was an R rated movie. It would be considered probably PG now, but when we went, it was considered R rated, and that's when the ratings first came out. And R was supposed to be really, really, really bad. And so we went to this movie in the theater with this couple, and I embarrassed my husband and the couple to no end. And I cannot recall the name of this movie, but it was about a football team and the cheerleaders, and it all revolved around this uh, this drive-in where you know where you got hot dogs and hamburgers, and the girls came out on roller skates and served you at your car and so on. And it was a circular drive uh, drive-in, and it had a counter all the way around. And I was I was really good, you guys, until they decided to have sex the football players and and the cheerleaders. And so the cheerleaders are sitting on this round countertop and the whole building shook. And I lost it. And I got the giggles. Oh. And, and then I was giggling and I was embarrassed for myself because I was giggling when it just struck me so damn funny that I just laughed until I cried. And, of course, everybody in the movie is no longer watching the building jiggle. They're watching me and my husband saying, Shut up. Be quiet. <laughs> I have to leave if you don't be quiet. So I, I left. <laughs> but that's the, that was considered. Now my my teenage son would watch it and he, he would say, oh, yeah, uh-huh, that's really exciting, uh-huh. You know? <laughs> Ladies, it's 7.57. We have two, uh, three minutes. Actually, my timer says we have two minutes left. I'd like to thank both Jennifer and Jill for joining us tonight. You've really... Uh, put a new light on John Holmes for, for me and uh, for, I'm sure, many people. We will go out and uh, purchase your book, many, available many places. And I'm going to give you over to Corey, Jennifer, and Jill. Thank you so much. You were delightful, both of you. And I just think that I have a more open mind about what we uh, what we discussed tonight. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, so everyone, you can get John Holmes A Life Measured in Inches from their website, www.johnholmesinches.com, or you can go to our profile page and click the play button for this episode, and you'll see the book cover. Click that, and you can buy it right there. And it also helps fund our show when you do so. It goes to Amazon.com and then comes back to us, and we love your support, of course. So. And also, I want to tell you guys to check out some other things, like the return of the radio bedroom, which is a perfect scene. We're in the perfect episode tonight to discuss the radio bedroom. So uh, that'll be coming back next week, and that is my radio show. We will be back live with guests and more pranks, jokes, and anything that you can make possible, and that should be fun. So look forward to that, as well as the new website for Serious Business Radio next week. Tarot card readings are next week with Roseanne and and Susan the following week with her new diet plans on how to get really skinny and live really healthily. If you're skinny
Tony, of course, you're going to be happy. So, everyone, this is Serious Business Radio. Good night. Good night. Thank you for coming. We'll see you next week, Serious Business, 7 p.m. Eastern. Roseanne does the tarot cards. You've just listened to an IYR The Classics broadcast. Learn more about IYR The Classics at theclassics.itsyourradio.com. It's your radio, the future of radio. www.itsyourradio.com.